Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, the Chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the Chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the President of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in the field of laboratory medicine and pathology. Bill, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well, Dr. Pritt, how are you? Excellent, had a really nice weekend and here we are in a lovely week. Lots of things going on, you know, yeah. monkeypox is still around. And I thought it was very interesting that the WHO declared that global public health emergency just last week that really indicates that they're taking this seriously now that this outbreak has spread around the world rapidly through new modes of transmission and it's not well understood. Yeah, it certainly signifies that this is different than any monkeypox outbreak that we've dealt with certainly over the mm -hmm. last century in terms of its ability to spread between humans. Just a heightened awareness is needed and that's what mm -hmm. the, my understanding of the public health emergency is just to say this is something that the global health community really needs to pay attention to. And that includes the United States, of course, we're part of the globe. Yeah, that's an excellent point. This declaration is more of a signal. It doesn't free up resources necessarily, although it may signal to individual countries that they wanna free up resources. It also helps improve surveillance. It indicates that this is something serious and so reporting should be a priority. Sometimes these types of global declarations have travel restrictions attached to them, but that's not the case with this. Obviously, it wouldn't make sense. It's out of the bag, so to speak. And, you know, monkeypox is now definitely across the United States. In fact, I think we have nearly 3,000 cases. It's really more just to raise it as a, a public health risk and to gain that increased awareness so that maybe we could um, have better reporting, possibly more resources devoted to it in the future, maybe more vaccines as well. Yeah, I think it's really important for people to have good context here and understand kind of what this means to your point, because we're also conditioned from COVID that when we hear the WHO make a statement of a public health emergency, we immediately brace for the sort of impact that COVID had worldwide mm -hmm. in terms of shutting things down and the restrictions and all that. And that was a pandemic of, it is still a pandemic of a respiratory virus that is spread through droplet and, and mm -hmm. doesn't require direct contact much, much different than what we're talking about now with monkeypox, you know, where it's fed through direct contact. Thankfully, right now, patients don't seem to be getting as seriously ill. And I think the other thing is people maybe are a little confused to say, well, you know, you were on the, on the airwaves here six weeks, a couple months ago, saying this was really not anything to be too concerned about. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is that the both are true. So on the one hand, Yes, it's a global public health emergency, but it doesn't mean we're moving towards the same sort of measures that had to be taken for COVID, right? And to your mm -hmm. point, it's about understanding and being aware and cognizant and doing things as a global health community to help mitigate the spread of this illness and hopefully eradicate it so it doesn't become endemic outside of the areas mm -hmm. in Africa where it already is. But it also does reflect that we don't really understand fully, but this is behaving differently than prior monkeypox outbreaks, which were usually limited to hundreds of people at most, and didn't show the same proclivity to spread between humans. And so it is different. And we are learning about it. If there's one similarity, I guess, to COVID, then it's that we are learning about it mm -hmm. as we're dealing with it, because it's 
different than previous outbreaks. Yeah, it's an interesting point because it's an, a DNA virus, unlike COVID, which is an RNA virus, and RNA viruses tend to mutate more frequently. But as a DNA virus, it certainly can mutate and it is behaving differently. So there is some speculation that it may have become more transmissible to humans, or at least it's being transmitted in different ways. That I thought was interesting. The other thing that I've heard some people ask is, well, how is this different from a pandemic, calling something a global health emergency? I think when you say that something's a pandemic, it's really that it has grown out of control. There's a global scope. It's too big to contain. Whereas a public health emergency has not necessarily grown out of control and we still have the potential to contain it. There is this concern that this monkeypox with this new way of transmitting primarily through prolonged intimate or skin-to-skin uh, -skin contact could become an endemic sexually transmitted disease. But that's not necessarily a foregone conclusion. There may be a chance that we could get this under control. Certainly, we saw that with SARS, uh, the first SARS back in 2003. That was something that very quickly came under control with a concerted public health effort. And Zika virus, that's another virus that it's still around. It still causes a lot of problems in some parts of the world, but it's not the global problem that it was or was thought to be for a short period of time. It is interesting, right? And I had the opportunity actually to, to speak with Dr. Walensky as the head of the CDC, as the chair of the American Clinical Laboratory Association board. So she wanted to meet, and Dr. Salerno, who runs the laboratories at CDC, wanted to meet with some of the labs, including Mayo Clinic labs that had, had taken the CDC kit and stood up testing for monkeypox virus. And that was her point, she, you know, that, you know, we're up to close to 3,000, as you said, cases. The global health emergency is really to raise awareness in the health community because there still is the opportunity to eradicate the disease from areas where it is not endemic. And that was a point that she made as well, you know, that there's between contact tracing, isolation, and then and vaccination, that there is the opportunity, if we can get out in front of this, to actually stop the spread that's been sloganizing COVID-19, but now we're talking about monkeypox. And that's why testing is so critically important, right? Because we need to a, the providers, the doctors seeing these patients need to think about the possibility of monkeypox when they might not normally, because it is a, a different, is behaving like a sexually transmitted infection, as you said. And then we need to have the tests actually orderable and available so they can go back. That's really, those are the eyes and ears of getting out in front of any infectious disease, including monkeypox. Dr. Walensky was very appreciative of the efforts that are being taken to stand up the testing and working together. And our lab, for instance, got the test up in, I think, four weeks, which is pretty amazing. People are like, well, it was just a kit. Just a kit doesn't mean you just kind of buy it off the shelf and stick it in the laboratory. You still have to validate it. In this case, we need to validate and we're continuing to work to validate all of the high throughput, the things that allow the test to be not manual, but actually in a higher throughput so we can do more testing. And that all has to get approved by FDA for this. So it's been a really an amazing effort. And I don't know if it would have been possible. In fact, I'm quite confident it wouldn't have been if we hadn't already been through COVID and had kind of run this fire drill, if you will, already. Yeah, and if we hadn't been working closely with the CDC so we could be one of those five labs and have that public private partnership that we could take their test kit, which is FDA cleared for use as an in vitro diagnostic test and be able to bring that in. 
in the past, all of the CDC tests have really been limited to use in the public health labs. So the ability for private or nonprofit labs like Mayo's lab to be able to perform this test was a huge advance. And as you said, Bill, it wasn't any small feat to bring it in. We had to use monkeypox live and inactivated virus. And that's a virus that requires a higher level of safety containment, a biosafety level three, which is where we deal with pathogens such as tuberculosis. So we had to have specially trained individuals working in this BSL-3 environment with this virus. So yeah, not just a kit off the shelf requires a lot more. Of course, quality is always top of our mind when it comes to testing. Yeah, and I think that's interestingly, well, I think on the heels of monkeypox, there was sort of a stalling out, if you will, in the federal government about what to do next. If you think back to the next wave or tranche of COVID funding, for instance, never got approved that the White House had requested. And there was a sense of kind of want to just move beyond COVID. And the fear that I had and you had and many of us in healthcare had was that the lessons learned would not be learned, that the lessons that we learned from COVID would somehow right. fall to the wayside. And I think that was the other really interesting thing within the conversation with Dr. Walensky was to say, look, I don't know that this would have been possible if we hadn't just gone through COVID. And we need to think about ways that we can codify or get a playbook we've talked about before as well, this is going to happen. It's the nature of infectious diseases. It's probably going to happen more frequently as we have people traveling and we have just growth in the human population and going into areas where we haven't lived before, all sorts of things that play into this. So it's something we need to work on. It, clearly, the federal government's working on it as well. And thinking about yeah. this, there was just a story last week suggesting that the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, which is a White House-appointed position that has been trying to coordinate some of the COVID-19 response, for instance, and now some of the monkeypox, maybe that's a position that should be elevated to be equal to CDC director and FDA commissioner so that they can really coordinate. There's others that say, no, we don't need another person in there. We just need to make sure that the, the offices that, and agencies that exist have the right authority and visibility. That's all on the federal government side. But at the same point in time, this idea of how we knit together what they do with what we do in the hospital labs and in the clinical labs to create a better systematized approach to this is something that we're going to continue, I think, to, to really work on going forward. Yeah, we're really going to need this. As you said, there's been a number of these global emergencies, and we've had Zika and SARS and MERS and Ebola, and, and I'm sure there's going to be more. So we need to learn lessons. Yeah from our previous experiences. I'm very interested, Bill, to see what's going to happen in the United States. Now that the WHO has declared this public health emergency, will the US Department of Health and Human Services also declare a public health emergency? And will that require emergency use authorization of monkeypox tests? Yeah. Uh, which will open up that whole EUA process. We're using, as I mentioned, the CDC's test, which has already received FDA clearance. So it wouldn't apply to that, but anyone who's been designing, developing their own tests, they'd have to go through the EUA process. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with all of that. Yeah, that'll be really interesting, particularly with all the things we've talked about in, uh, before in terms of FDA oversight of LDTs and everything else. And also the other piece of this is just how will people react in society? What will that conjure up if they hear that this is a public health emergency in the U.S.? You know, I have my sense is that people will kind of be a little bit alarmed and, and, and yeah. maybe and rightfully so, but they can't always rely on a superhero or some superheroine to come to the rescue like <laughs> Parasite Gal. I know oh. that's your Twitter handle, right? And it's, 
It's a, yeah. I don't have a hero-esque Twitter handle, but you do. Oh, you should. You should, Bill. I don't know, though, because I haven't been in National Geographic. I think oh. I, mean, I haven't hit that level. Uh, uh, I can't fly across the sky with my cape like you, you can because you're in National Geographic. And you're telling me a little bit, what was that about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was interviewed as part of an article on that certain parasites are going extinct. And some parasites were actually seeking out to eradicate. And it was just a very interesting philosophical view on should we try to eradicate or let certain parasites go extinct? And I basically said, well, when it comes to human suffering, then yes, I think we need to control, eliminate, or eradicate certain parasites. But I did say that as a biologist, it doesn't quite sit right to purposefully go out and try to have something go to extinction. <laughs> I do think we need to understand, you know, we're all part of one big interconnected web and one parasite might actually be an important part of a food chain uh, or have some sort of biological control that we don't quite understand. So it was a really interesting piece. I was honored to be a part of it. Yeah. So in, in essence, you maybe were a little bit of a hero both for humans and for the parasites. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> the parasite rates. But it is true, though. I mean, and that kind of goes mm -hmm. kind of full circle. With, I mean, I'm wondering about now is it some of the things we're seeing with and we'll see now with influenza, how much of this is impacted just by disrupting our travel and the contact tracing and isolation. And it does speak to that. We really have to think about the, or the world and the globe that we live in because yeah. everything has its, its niche. And so it could be taking a parasite out would allow some species to flourish that mm -hmm. would be overall detrimental. And so we have to tread lightly, I guess, is, is the bottom yeah. line. And nature finds a way. That's a quote from a movie I won't get into, but essentially you think of smallpox, which is the only human pathogen we've eradicated to date, and the other pathogen being rinder pest, which is an animal pathogen. But then yet here we have monkeypox that is very closely related to smallpox. And you could argue it's perhaps filling, filling a niche that was previously occupied by smallpox. Obviously, they're quite different diseases. But it, it comes back to the fact that we are this global society and we now are encroaching upon natural areas where we're encountering zoonotic diseases and we're going to potentially have more of these leaps from animal resource or res reservoir to humans and hence more outbreaks. Yep. Well, and more for us to talk about, I guess. Exactly. So, like always. Yeah. Well, it's great to catch up. Yeah. You too, Bill. Talk to you again next week. Sounds great. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday. <laughs>